0: Welcome to the Preaching and Teaching Ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. We've taken a couple of weeks off of our Bible study series because of missions convention, and last week we had a fellowship and game night, which was a lot of fun. And um, tonight we're picking our Bible study on the life of Peter back up. So this Bible study series is the life of Peter from fisherman to follower of Jesus. And tonight the title is "Failing with Confidence," kind of a unique title. How do you like? How do you like? How do you like to fail with confidence? It's like, I like the confidence part, but not the failing part. How many of you have ever failed with confidence? You were confident everything was going to be great, and you failed. (laughs) That describes Peter in the situation we're going to look at tonight totally and completely. We're going to be looking at Matthew 26 and kind of jumping around. Uh, sequentially, but in um, in that chapter, because we're just focusing on what's happening with Peter um, at the time. Um, but let's just talk a little bit about a couple other things before we jump into the text. How many of you have ever failed? Yeah. <laughs> How many of you have failed sometime this week? How about today? <laughs> probably all of us, right? If, if you think you haven't failed, then you're probably deceiving yourself. People that don't fail never try anything. Doesn't mean we should set out to fail, but... And with the, the thing is, there's so many things we can fail at. We can fail a test, we can fail to reach a goal, we can fail in a relationship. I mean, some some consequences of failure are pretty significant. Some consequences of failure are not that big a deal. You tried something, it didn't work. Oh, well. You know, tried a new recipe, it wasn't quite as good as you thought. Oh, well. Uh, things like relationships and some financial things are a lot more serious, but... You know, it's one thing to fail when you know that it's a possibility. It's another thing to fail if you know that I'm going to try this, but, I mean, it'll be God's grace if it actually happens. But what's really hard is when you fail and you have full confidence that you're not going to. And that's happened, right? And that's what happens to Peter in this situation. We've been studying Peter for a while, and we will be uh, for a good while because we're just about up to the crucifixion and, and all that kind of stuff, but we got a bunch of stuff in Acts um about what Peter's done that we'll study after Jesus ascends to heaven. But uh, as we've mentioned several times in the study, Peter has known for many positives or successes and some negatives and failures. What would you consider to be Peter's greatest failure? <laughs> okay, in general, he talks without thinking. All right, Chris. He lost the greatest foot race on earth to John. Okay. Yeah. Easter Sunday, you know, Jesus is alive. Him and John take off, and John was a lot younger and and beat him. Okay. Any other thoughts about his greatest failure? Linda? He denied Jesus three times. Anybody got a different answer? I saw several hands. Lynn? He was overconfident. Yeah. There's a reason, that's one of the reasons behind the failures. In fact, we're going to look at that tonight. Uh, I mean, that's an opinion question. Obviously, I would agree with the one that, um, you know, he denied Jesus three times. It's under pressure. But I'll be honest with you. If we were put in the same situation, we don't know for sure what we do because we haven't been. But it'd be very easy to do the same thing. OK, um, why did he fail, though? We are going to talk about that tonight when he denied Jesus three times. Okay, uh, Lynn gave one answer. He's overconfident. What are some other reasons perhaps that Peter failed in that moment of pressure? Fear. Yeah, fear. Anything else you can think of? Okay, well, we're going to talk about a couple more. I've got on your note sheet there two reasons why Peter failed Jesus. Now, this is just my opinion, although because of what Lynn said, I know he agrees with me. Uh, at least for half of it. Uh, two reasons why Peter failed Jesus. Because Peter had too much confidence. And the second one is Peter didn't have enough confidence. You're like, wait a minute, there's other blanks on my sheet. That's okay, we're going to fill them in. (laughs) Peter had too much confidence, but he didn't have enough confidence. How can those both be true? Pat's got half the answer. She said he's got too much confidence in himself. And that's right, that's the other blank. Peter had too much confidence in himself but he didn't have enough confidence in what? Jesus. Jesus Christ. That's it. Okay, Peter had too much confidence in himself, but not enough confidence in Jesus. That may be a little bit behind of why he ended up started sinking when he walked out on the water, which we studied months ago, okay? And to be honest with you, these are some of the reasons we fail Jesus. When we give in to temptation, we don't have victory over the stuff we're battling with, um, we don't receive everything God has for us. A lot of times it's because we got too much confidence in ourselves. We don't have enough in Jesus. Or we're not putting enough in him. We're, we're, de- we're depending on our own strength, our own wisdom, our own power, our own whatever. Okay? So we're going to take a look at this story. And as we do, look for signs of Peter's confidence in himself and his lack of confidence in Jesus. Okay? So we're going to be looking at Matthew 26. We're going to start in verse 30 in a moment, but the background is um, Jesus and the disciples have been in the upper room. They've had the Last Supper. Jesus said, somebody's going to betray me. Judas has left. Jesus had those three, four chapters of teaching that we studied last year from the upper room out of John. Okay? And now they're getting ready to leave and head out to the Garden of Gethsemane. All right? So we pick it up. I think your note sheet says verse 31, but we're going to start in verse 30. It says, and when they had sung a hymn, so we did well tonight singing some hymns, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, "This is all twelve of the disciples, You will all fall away of me, uh, fall away because of me this night. For it is written, "I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered, but after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee." Peter answered him, "Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away." Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. Now, keep in mind, Peter's the most vocal, but they're all saying the same thing. All right? All right. So, they get to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus says, hey, I'm getting ready to go pray. He leaves let me think. Uh, seven of the disciples in one place. He takes Peter, James, and John a little bit further along. He leaves them there and just goes a little bit further. And he asks them to watch and pray with him. So, um, uh, we find that even though he wants them to watch and pray with him, they fall asleep. So let's jump down. Well, actually, we're going to pick it back up here. And I'm sorry. In, uh, I lost my place. Please forgive me. So anyway, they did fall asleep and, um, Jesus comes back to them. He wakes them up. He says, listen, watch and pray with me. Goes and prays again, comes back there asleep again. Happens like three times. All right. Now jumping down to verse 46. Found my place again. The last time he comes back, third time he says, rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. We go on to verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the 12, and with him a great cloud, a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you've come to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him, and behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Who was that? It was Peter, yeah. Uh, Matthew doesn't tell us that, but um, I think it's John in his gospel that tells us that was Peter, and the servant's name was Malchus. Verse 52, then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? We talked about that on Good Friday, 12 legions of angels, 72,000 angels. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, I, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching and you didn't seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now, John tells us that it was not just Peter, but John, Okay and that John was known by the people in the high priest's household, family connections, whatever, and he got them in, but then John disappears. We don't know if he went further or what happened, but Peter's by himself in the courtyard, uh, by himself as far as the other disciples are concerned. He's with a group of people, all right? So anyway... um, Peter's sitting in the courtyard. Jesus is in an interior space, room, whatever, being questioned and unjustly tried and all that. Apparently, there's a window, doorway, something open because later on, we're going to see that after Peter denies Jesus, he turns his head and Jesus' eyes and his eyes meet. You know, he can see Jesus. Jesus can see him. All right. So Jesus is falsely accused, mocked, beaten, spit upon we jump down to verse 69, and it says this. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, got a little uncomfortable, thought he changed position. Uh, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, surely you too are one of them because your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now, when it talks about he's swearing and cursing, it doesn't mean he's cussing people out or even... Using foul language, it means he was doing what would be illegally. He says, I swear before God, stack about how are we do today, you know. I do not know. May God strike me dead if I'm telling a lie, you know. <laughs> Cross my heart, hope that I stick a needle in my Whatever your preferred method of verifying the truth. Actually, Jesus says we shouldn't do it that way. But that's what he was doing, very seriously saying, I do not know this guy. But, you know, earlier he said that he would never deny him. He would die with him. And in the garden, he pulled out a sword. He was ready to die then. And then Jesus says, don't do that. Maybe that kind of confused him, thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't resist. I don't know. But for whatever reason, overconfidence, fear, he denies Jesus. But does that mean he wasn't sincere? No, he was very sincere. Does it mean he didn't love Jesus? No, he loved Jesus. I mean, he was passionate about Jesus. He was committed to him. He didn't intend to deny Jesus. I think when he said, I would die for you, he really believed that. You know, the circumstances changed things. He was full of confidence in himself. Now, you know, because of Jesus' example and perhaps our own concerns for ourselves, I've heard people tell me, like, you know, if I was ever faced with a situation of denying Jesus or I would be harmed in some major way or lose my life, I don't know if I would do it or not. I don't know if I'd be able to stand for Jesus. But I happen to believe that with God's Spirit dwelling within us, God will give us the strength we need that whatever we face, that we can stand strong. I mean, it's still our choice. You know, I'm sure there have been those who have denied Christ under pressure through the years, but there have been so many people, ordinary men and women, who had the strength to stand uh, under supreme persecution and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's because of the presence of the power of the Spirit of God. As we're going to see as we continue to study Peter's life, Peter becomes a different man. Not just because of the resurrection. That's a big deal, but because of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. All right. But as I said earlier, we shouldn't be too judgmental. Um, we might would do the same thing in the situation. Um, Peter at least tried to defend him and he did follow. I mean, the rest of the disciples, except for John, they took off. But Peter at least tried to stay close. He was in the courtyard, you know, and after he denied him the first time, he didn't get up and leave. He just got to moved, hoping he wouldn't be bothered. All right, so he stayed close. He knew he was in a threatening situation. So, I mean, he didn't come through in the clutch and say, I know Jesus, go ahead, crucify me too. But neither did he run, you know, um, completely anyway. So, well, we won't probably ever be in exactly the same situation because Jesus won't be crucified again. But we are often in situations we were tempted to deny Jesus. I don't mean literally somebody say deny Jesus, but I mean we can deny him in our words. We can deny him in our actions. We can deny him in our thoughts. You know, anytime we just say, Jesus, forget it. I'm going to do things my own way. That's a form of denying Jesus. All right. Um, and usually it's because we've got too much confidence in ourselves and so not enough in Jesus. But there's some things in this story that we see that uh, Peter did or didn't do that are warning signs that can be warning signs for us too for whatever situations we forget uh we face. But I want to say this before we move on that it's not bad to have confidence, okay? God wants us to have confidence. He just doesn't want us to be overconfident in ourselves. We can have confidence in Christ. We can have confidence in the strengths God's put in our lives. We can have confidence in the gifts that God has given us as long as we recognize it's because of him and we're we're giving the glory to him and we're putting our confidence in him and what he wants to do in and through us, all right? So what are some signs that we are in danger of failure? We see these signs in Peter's situation in this story. Signs we are in danger of failure. The first one is this, is we ignore the warnings. We ignore the warnings. Peter had been warned. Not once, not twice, but three times that we have in Scripture. He had been warned that he would fail. He had been warned that he was in danger of denying Jesus. The last lesson, I think it was the last one we studied from Luke 22, when Jesus spoke specifically to Peter, he says, listen, Satan is asked to be able to sift all of you guys. But I've prayed for you specifically so that after you come back, was, it's a done till you're going to fail. But when you come back, okay, so that, there's one warning. And then we have two warnings in the passage we just read tonight. Jesus told the whole, all the disciples, you're all going to run away. You're all going to desert me, whatever. And Peter says, no way, no way, no way. He says, Peter, yes. In fact, specifically you, three times before the rooster crows. You know, it's really interesting. Every once in a while you read about a natural disaster or something. And um some natural disasters, you have advanced warning. I mean, we know about that being here in Florida. We've been here... Over 17 years, and we've only had one major hurricane that we've had to go through in our area, you know. But you know, when the hurricanes come, you know they're coming, and so everybody puts out the, the governor puts out the warning, you know. The mayors of the city, you know, this is what you got to do. And if you need to leave, you need to leave. And some people do, some people don't. People choose to do what they're going to do based on how confident they feel about whether it's really going to happen, how confident they feel that they're ready to weather the storm. Um, and some people make it through. They're very fortunate. God's gracious. And some people don't. I remember reading about, um, maybe you remember this too. March 22nd, 2014, up in Washington state. All right. There was this big mudslide, it took out a bunch of houses. 41 people died. But the thing that was so sad is that they knew it was going to happen long before it did. In fact, there had been studies over decades. That it was going to happen, it was just a matter of time. But people kept building houses there, kept moving into houses there. But even before the actual event, there was warning that, hey, there's a really good chance this must, it's going to just wipe this out. And people said, ah, no, we'll stay. What? They became too confident. Yeah, why do people ignore warnings? I mean, too confident, yeah. But what are some other reasons why people ignore warnings? It's not going to happen, or it won't happen to me. You know, I mean, have you ever felt like you're the exception? (laughs) Yeah, I know that usually when people do that, that happens, but it won't happen to me. You know, I'm the exception. (laughs) The benefits outweigh the possible consequences. All right. My house has a better foundation. You know, you know, my house is stronger when the hurricane comes, you know, somehow, you know, and God's going to put this invisible army of angels around it. So anyway, Lynn. Hmm. Yes, and sometimes people are just ignorant of the facts. They're right there in front of them, but I mean, how many times do we ignore something that's right in front of us because we don't want to believe it? We don't want to, you know, I, whatever. Yeah. What were you gonna say, Chris? Rebellion. Yeah. Uh, you look at warnings in the Bible. The people in the days of the flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, just totally rebellious. If this, and you know, there's another factor there, spiritually. If God says it, I don't care, (laughs) you know. Uh, For some people, if God says it, I'm going to do just the opposite, you know. um, I've got a list here. It won't happen to me. I'm the exception. It doesn't apply to me. It's not that bad. I can take care of myself. I'll be the lucky one. It hasn't happened yet, (laughs) you know. But God gives us a lot of warnings, right, and we, we ignore them at great risk. How does God warn us? Where does God give us warnings? We say, God, does he put the labels on packages like, you know, how, how does God warn us about things, about anything? In his word. That's the primary way. He speaks very clearly about the important issues of life in his word. How else does he warn us? What'd you say? Through nature, from things that we see that happen. It's like if it happened once, it could happen again. All right. How else does God warn us? Through me? Okay. Yeah, we laugh, but that is true. He does warn us through people that are speaking his word, okay, or that God gives revelation to. Not wacko, but you know, you got to weigh everything people say against his word, but God does speak through people, you know, any way we get God's word, whether we read God's word, we listen to God's word, we hear a sermon, we hear a Bible study, okay, Um And not just a preacher, it could be, you know, it can be a friend or a family member who really loves and cares about us, that has some wisdom, and God will use them to warn us through wise people, not wise guys, but through wise people, all right? And how about common sense? Now, I know we all have different amounts of common sense, but God has given us all at least some common sense, you know, but how many times do we go against common sense? And then as soon as we do, it's like, I know I should have listened to that little voice. <laughs> and that leads another thing. God can lead, listen, lead us through the still small voice of His Holy Spirit. Amen. We're sensitive to that. So anyway, but you know, all these ways are God's warns us, but what are some of the things that God warns us again, uh, about? Sin. Yeah. And that's a big category. What are some other specific things that God warns us about? That. Things that are going to hurt us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The consequences of sin, you know, and consequences of other things that may not be sin, but they're not really good for us. I mean, we have principles in God's word that there are some things that aren't sin, but it's still better for you not to get involved with it, you know. Um, I mean, just about as I mentioned before, any area that's significantly important, God's got some good advice about on it. either specific or at least general principles. You know, I think one of the biggest areas that the world in particular, but even in the church People are so freely, flagrantly just saying, "Ah, I don't care what God says, I'm going to do my own thing, and that's sexual immorality. God gives all kinds of warnings. You know, and he says, flee sexual immorality, which, you know, the the, the deep Greek meaning of that word flee means run really fast in the opposite direction. (laughs) That's just what it means. It's not really the deep Greek meaning. But... um, But how often do people, even God's people, just kind of play around with it, flirt around with it, you know? And that's just one example. God warns us about how we deal with relationships, our finances, um, the spiritual realm and spiritual warfare. How many times do we not take it seriously enough that we have an enemy out for us, out after us, okay? What excuses do people use to ignore God's warnings? All the excuses they used to, to to ignore all the other warnings, right? I mean, the same things. Well, I'm the exception. I can't tell you how sad it makes me feel when there have been a number of times I've had conversations with people and just lovingly say, well, you know what God's word says about this? Yeah, but my situation's different. But God's word says it. Yeah, but I'm the exception. You know, it'll catch up to us eventually, you know. Yeah, the Bible's only his. No confidence in that it really is God's word. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, if we, here's the thing, you know, we're doing this study tonight on these warning signs that we see in Peter's life. If we come out of this Bible study saying, well, that will never happen to me. We just fall and prey to ignoring the warnings. So take seriously what we're talking about. We ignore the warnings. Okay, the second thing is we think we're stronger than others. There's where the overconfidence and the pride comes in. We think we're stronger than the others. You know, that's what Peter said, right? Uh, even if all these other guys deny you, run away, abandon, I never will. You know, anytime we feel like we are better than or stronger than Somebody else. Now please understand here, if we're walking with the Lord and we see somebody that they're not walking with the Lord or they're making mistake after mistake, there's nothing wrong to saying, you know, I'm trying my best Lord and I thank you for the strength I have because I'm trying to do what you want. And that we you know, I need to pray for that guy over there. You know, I need to pray with that lady. And yes, there is a very realistic thing of, oh, I'm a little bit stronger than they are because I'm following the Lord. But anytime we get this attitude of pride, like, well, that can't happen to me, you know, because I'm one of God's favorites, you know, because I do this and I do that. I like that old saying, there but for the grace of God go I. You know, whether you're talking about a homeless person, you're talking about somebody addicted to drugs, you're talking about somebody who uh, is suicidal, you talk about somebody totally depressed, except for the grace of God, I could be that person. Um it's it's a statement that's kind of out there in the world. You may or may not have heard it. I don't know. It's totally true for Christians. Whatever the point is, is that you know you hear about somebody that kills a family member, that kills somebody. It's like I could never imagine myself doing that. And I know people that are in law enforcement. John, you can verify this. What people in law enforcement say: under the right conditions, probably just about any one of us could kill somebody. You know, we think we never would, but we don't know exactly how we're going to respond under certain circumstances and conditions. And if it is, except for the grace of God, we could do anything. We could be bound by anything but sometimes we think we're stronger than others because of pride and self-confidence um false security you know i think a great illustration of this uh in my life you know when i was a kid i used to love climbing trees you know and i climb way up in trees scare my mom to death she's listening to this later but anyway um uh but uh, climb up in the trees and and there were times i'd jump from one branch to another and all that kind of stuff but I remember one time we were having a picnic or some kind of family gathering at my grandparents' house and I decided to climb this one tree I'd climbed before. And so I was climbing up the trunk and I jumped out to grab this branch and it had gotten rotten. <laughs> and it snapped and I fell. It was only about eight feet, maybe ten feet at the most. I fell smack on my back, knocked the wind out of me. I could not breathe. I mean, at that time it felt like an eternity before I could take a breath. I was overconfident, all right, in that branch. But, you know, we can do that way about ourselves. We can just get too overconfident. We jump out and do whatever we want to do, and uh, we can find ourselves falling and have problems. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 10, 12, Paul says, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. And that's in the context of the trials we face and the temptations that we face. Don't get overconfident. I'm mean, going to say, you know, with Jesus' help, I can do this. I mean, you don't want to go to temptations. I'm going to fail anyway. Might as well give in. No, no, no. With God's help, I can overcome this thing. With God's help, I can say no. With God's help, I can say yes, whichever one's appropriate. Okay? But, but, don't think like, oh, I'm good. There's no way I could ever fall. There's no way I could ever, whatever. Okay? So, (laughs) and we can be guilty of that if we look at this story and say, well, I'd never deny Jesus like Peter did. There we go. We fall into the same trap. Right? Third one, third warning sign. We do not watch and pray as we should. We do not watch and pray as we should. Let's go back because we, we skipped reading this part. But in chapter 26, let's go back and read this section here, verses 36 to 46. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Boy, that's way far back. Here we go. Jesus went with the disciples to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Um, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, My Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He came back to the disciples, found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And so anyway, it happened again and again. All right. Now, here's the thing. This follows naturally from the point before if we think that we're extra strong then we're less likely to watch and pray we become confident i got it under control why do i I mean i know praying is a good thing but i don't have any major problems right now you know i can handle this um i don't really need to pray or pray all that hard because i'm strong enough or the situation is not really that big of a deal We need to take it very seriously. And and we need to not wait until the problem's on us to start praying, you know? We need to develop habits of prayer and of talking with God and seeking God and asking for God's help and and encouragement and protection and all that kind of stuff. And, Lord, help me to be awake and alert and ready and looking out for the enemy and his attack. Not paranoid, not going through life scared to death, but, Lord, help me to be aware of what's going on around me and be dependent upon you. but that's not easy. As, as, as Jesus told Peter, the spirit is willing, but the body's weak. I found that to be true, especially in, resu- in, in, in prayer. You know, I mean, how many times is it, I'm going to have a better prayer life. And we really mean it, especially if to hear a good sermon or Bible study about it. My prayer life is changing, you know, and we try to make some changes and it's hard it's hard. I've told the story before. When I went to Bible college, you know, I was already spending time with God every day, reading my Bible and praying. But I thought, I'm going to Bible college. I'm going to be a minister. I'm going to really get my life in good shape, spiritually speaking. I'm going to get up every morning at five o'clock in the morning because I had to work in the cafeteria for breakfast. I'm going to get up at five o'clock in the morning, go spend an hour with God, you know, I'm going to pray, read my Bible. And, and that first morning I got up, went down to the chapel on my floor, and spent that hour, and woke up an hour later, (laughs) fell asleep. And that happened a couple days in a row. Um, My problem was I was picking the wrong time of the day for me. You know, you should always spend your time with God whenever it's the best time for you. Okay, People in the Bible did it first thing early, early in the morning, because that was the best time for them. That was before they got busy, and they were busy all day long, working in the fields, minding the flocks, all that kind of stuff. You know, and so you need to find the best time. And then I eventually found out that after I'd worked dinner in the cafeteria, before I start my homework, I'd go spend an hour with God. Then that was good. I was wide awake, had plenty, plenty of alertness. I could pray, read my Bible, and then go do my homework. You know, it's all halfway through the night. But anyway, that's all about college. Uh, but the spirit is willing, but the body's weak. All right. So, um, we just got to overcome that. And God can help us overcome that. All right. So that regular time of prayer is important. Um, Yeah. The fourth one is we try to follow Jesus alone. We try to follow Jesus alone. If you look down at verses 57 and 58. Get down here. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest and was... And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now, please understand, in this particular case, Peter's not doing something sinful. But I'm using what's happening to him as an example. He's there by himself. He went there with John. John went somewhere else. We don't know. But Peter is there in the courtyard with all these other people, but they're not his friends. They're not his fellow disciples. They're not his support system. He's by himself. Okay? Um. um and that just really makes it clear to us, we need each other. And we need to not cut ourselves off from other believers. You know, we've talked about this so many times, that's why it's so important to be involved with a body of believers. And not just show up for an hour and listen and walk out and not build relationships. And to be honest with you, one hour a week is kind of, th- you need, you need, whether it takes place on this property or in these buildings or someplace, you need close relationships with other believers. That's why the writer Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, talking about the end times when things are going to get tougher. We need each other. That's why I think it's so cool. You know, our men that meet on Thursdays for those that can, the women that meet on Tuesdays, you know, other opportunities that we have to meet and grow. We've been talking in the elder uh, in our elder meeting, um, and, and we're working through some processes of how can we see some more small groups, different settings, different ways uh, be established where people can get together in a smaller group. I mean, this is great here, but still, this is kind of a big, small group, you know, but where they can get together and, 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 and be in the appropriate ways involved in each other's lives to be there to support and encourage, okay? Um, we need each other. We see it in the Bible. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are put forward as great examples of men that really stood for God. They had each other, right? Yeah. Um, uh, When Jesus sent his disciples out, he sent them out in pairs. You look at Paul. We think of Paul as being the great missionary leader, missionary evangelist, really turned the Roman Empire upside down. But you read through his writings, you read through the book of Acts, very seldom is he alone. I mean, there's a couple of times, there's one time uh, Luke says, well, Paul needed some time alone, so he just, like, walked 10 miles to the next port while they all took the boat, okay? Um But, and 10 miles, I'm not sure if that's exactly, but it, basically there's a short stretch where he was by himself because he needed some time alone, but other than that, he always had traveling companions with him, you know? I'm sure to help him, hold him accountable, to support, to encourage, to pray with him, to help him with the ministry, Um yeah. Uh, It's really sad and I'm not going to get into the details of it, but there's been so much recently and to be honest with you, throughout the years from time to time, a lot of stuff in the news about religious leaders that are well known who have fallen to sin and have led others to fall to sin. And if you really, if you can know the details to the degree that you can, usually one of the factors is a lack of accountability. You know, other brothers and sisters who have the right and the ability to really speak into their life and help hold them accountability or a resistance to respond to the accountability, you know. And so that's so sad. We we need each other. You know, even in nature. I mean, how many times have we watched National Geographic or one of those other shows and you see these nice little antelope bounding along and then here comes the lion or the panther or whatever. Boom. And who? which one is the one that he brings down? The one that's off all by himself. (laughs) You know. Yeah, it reminds me of that old story these two hunters that are out hunting and all of a sudden there's a bear behind them and, and the guy says, You better run fast he says, I only gotta run faster than you. So, anyway, so we need each other. I like Ecclesiastes chapter four, verses nine to twelve. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to whom is who woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So we need each other. The fifth and the last one, and we could probably pick out some other ones too, and this is a a picturesque way of putting it. We warm ourselves at the enemy's fire. We warm ourselves at the enemy's fire. Um, the same story in Luke, Luke 22, 54 to 55, it says, Then they seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard they and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Now, again, keep in mind, Peter is not doing something sinful here, but we're using that as a picture, okay? Um, sometimes we as believers, if we do not guard ourselves, we end up sitting at the enemy's fire. Alright. We get involved in the world. We don't guard our spiritual health. And we take in stuff that's not spiritually healthy for us. And, um, it can cause us all kinds of problems. It's, It's a warning sign. You know, in a physical sense, Peter became cold and was attracted to the fire. But sometimes if we allow our spiritual walk to become cold, we'll get attracted to the world's fire. I read this quote. I really like this. When the spiritual passion in our heart begins to die, our fire for Jesus will grow cold and we will look elsewhere for warmth. So, anyway. Uh, As we wrap this up, I had mentioned it earlier when we were first starting, but it's in Luke 22 verses 60 to 62 that it talks about after Peter had denied Jesus three times, it says, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. So Peter denied him. He and Jesus made eye contact. He wept bitterly. And we're going to see in a future lesson how Jesus restored. And we mentioned on Sunday that when Jesus rose from the grave, he appeared to the women. He said, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Peter. And I think that he did that because Peter would be one to say, I don't know if he wants me around after what I did. And he says, yeah, I still want you around, Peter. And later at the end of John, we're going to look at that as a separate lesson where Jesus has that meeting with him and, and restores him and talks to him about his future ministry and all that. You know, um, Jesus forgave Peter. Now, Peter denying him like that was a big deal. So why did Jesus forgive him? What did you say, Ida? Because Jesus is good, yeah. Jesus will forgive anybody anything if they're repentant. It's obvious Peter's repentant. You know, as soon as I caught it, Peter's heart broke. You know, it just broke. He went out, he wept bitterly. I've said many times, what's the difference between Peter and Judas? Peter repented. Judas didn't. He didn't. Yeah. Now, it would have been better if he hadn't failed in the first place. We don't want to use this story as an example of, well, I'm going to try my best to live for Jesus, but if I don't... Do it just right. That's okay. God will forgive me. Because there's always consequences. A great example of that is David. David was a man for God's own heart. He made a lot of mistakes. He asked God to forgive him. God forgave him. But you know what? The last half of his life, even though he loved the Lord, there was heartache after heartache, family tragedy after family tragedy, all consequences of his sin. So it's better not to fail, not to plan to fail, and to do your best not to fail, Uh, But you know what? If you do and you repent, God will forgive you. So I just want to repeat this. Confidence is not wrong if our confidence is in Christ. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's not all things like fill in the blank, whatever you want to do. (laughs) But you can do everything God wants you to do. You can face any situation he allows you to go through if you put your trust in him. So as we wrap this up, if we're going to apply this to our lives, we need to look and say, is there any area of my life where there's some warning signs and I'm ignoring them? Okay. Am I seeing any traces of pride and overconfidence in my life where I think I'm better than somebody else? I'm stronger than somebody else. I've got this under control by myself. Nothing wrong with saying I've got this under control by God's grace and with his help. But, you know, you got that arrogance. You got that overconfidence. Are you watching and praying as you should? Are you following Jesus alone? Are you not in close contact and relationship with other believers? Are you warming yourself at the enemy's fire? Have you found your spiritual passion cooling? Now there's ups and downs emotionally in our spiritual life, but I mean, have you gotten to where, you know, spending time with God and going to church and being with God's people is kind of, you know, cooled off and you're doing a whole lot more with hanging out with nothing wrong hanging out with non-Christians. We've got to. That's what God calls us to do. Be salt and light. Okay but um, are the spiritual influences, the positive spiritual influences in your life waning as worldly influences gain more power and strength? That's warming ourselves at the enemy's fire. So we need to take these things seriously and respond appropriately. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we've once again be able to look at Peter's life and his example. We thank you for all the good example Examples that Peter is to us. Lord, may we have that same passion, may we have that same drive, Lord God, to just be there with Jesus and for Jesus. But Lord, help us to avoid the mistakes. Help us to avoid the overconfidence, the pride. Uh Father, help us, Lord, to be fully and completely confident in you, trusting in you, depending on you. Help us with the areas of our lives, Lord God, where we struggle. Give us victory, Lord Jesus. And Father, we just thank you that you make all that available to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.